industry. And welcome to the next episode of our uh, podcast. Um, we're doing this again from my phone because, well, we're sitting in the same room and we have, you know, some new things that we we've come across, discovered, and acquired, and all that. Um, Shaggy's hard drive is better than ever in his MacBook Pro. Yeah, it's uh, it's no longer an actual hard drive, too. It's a solid state. Uh, I recently swapped that out because uh, I was tired of the laggy 5400 RPM drive that was in it, and yeah, I pretty much paid $7 for the solid state, so I can't really complain about the performance either. The performance blows any hard drive out of the water, and it's not an expensive uh, solid state either. I, I say I paid 7 bucks, but that's because I had a $50 gift card. So, I mean, overall, the price was about $60, but out of pocket, I only paid 7 bucks. So, I mean, you really can't beat that price. And, and uh, no, not really. And and plus, with, with a solid state, I, I still see it kind of as a hard drive without mechanical heads and things like that. I'm kind of weird like that, but but I can I can see how it's not called a hard drive. It's more like it's more like literally RAM that just stays in there for a while until until it burns out because that's part of the reason why I still rely on magnetic storage to hold most of my other stuff. Because sooner or later, the stuff will burn out if you're not careful. So if I were to have a custom rig for myself, I would have a smaller, quick, solid state for the OS, and then a secondary one for storage. That way, have plenty of information saved and good boot-up times. That's exactly how my gaming desktop is set up at home. Awesome. I've got a 128 gigabyte solid state, which is my host drive for the operating system, and then a one terabyte 7200 RPM drive for games, storage, and whatever, just in case the other one fails. And that, and I accidentally, man, this the end of this stylus is kind of, kind of like, kind of heavy. Kind of feel that. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> oh wow, yeah, makes quite a bit of noise if you hit something with it. Um, I'll get to that one in a moment. You had some challenges getting getting all your stuff moved over, though. Oh, yeah. It was more tedious and time-consuming than I expected it to be. Um, okay, so usually you have a couple of options when it comes to uh, if you're going to clone a drive for installing, uh, installing the hardware into a PC. Um, most of the time, it's usually better to opt for a clean install of an operating system rather than cloning a drive just because you get the performance benefits of a clean install of an operating system but in my case I wanted to save the data that I've already installed on this PC so what I had to do what I first did was I, I looked up some uh, basic tutorials and guidelines just to make sure I didn't miss anything but overall the process was pretty simple and if, if you understand it, you're pretty much good, but it's always good to have a reference just in case. Um, so I took took the backplate off, took the hard drive out, threw in the new solid state. And I have a uh, external dock at home that I put in the old drive into and hooked it up with USB. And what I did was I booted to that first to make sure that the data was still intact, and it was. And what I had to do was I had to shrink the drive. Because normally when you clone a drive, you're cloning a drive that's smaller to a larger drive. In my case, I was going from a larger drive to a smaller drive, <laughs> which is not conventional. And I wouldn't recommend it either. Um, so I had to shrink the partition down to about 80 gigs for it to fit onto this 120 solid state. And after I did that, the Mac wouldn't boot anymore. That was my first problem. So I took the drive out. I went ahead and cloned it. And I had the longest time trying to figure out how to clone it properly and get Clonezilla to work for me, which is an open source free tool that you can use to clone drives. And after messing with it for a little bit, as long as you have a larger drive that you're cloning to, you shouldn't have any problems. That is mostly what my problems came from. But after I finally got it cloned and everything, I 
was able to boot from the drive that was in the PC, so it was able to boot from the solid state. Uh, immediately saw performance benefits so much faster. Um, but the partition size was wrong. Partition size and uh, the size that the drive was reporting was wrong. And in order for me to fix that, I couldn't fix it from within the booted operating system. Why, I don't know, because I guess my Mac was just being annoying and retarded and stubborn. <laughs> um, and uh, the par problem with that is that, okay, with a, with if you have a Mac, uh, a newer Mac, uh, the file system is HFS+. If you have Linux, it's usually extension 4. If you have Windows, it's NTFS. But... With a Mac, you have HFS Plus. Now, on open source tools like Gparted, which is another thing I had to use for this to work properly, you can expand, shrink, and copy, and all kinds of other things with 90% of the partitions out there and file system support. Uh, the only problem is that you cannot grow an HFS Plus file system from anything unless it's paid software or Apple's disk utility. And that's where my problem came, because I couldn't do that from the operating system, so I had to download the OSX at Yosemite installer, put it on a bootable drive, boot to the drive, and do it that way. Once I finally did it, I was able to repair the drive, but I had to create a blank partition to take up the space and then delete the partition, and then made it finally made the original partition grow to expand to the full size of the drive. That was over the course of about two days off and on between school and everything else. Okay, it's like, wow. So, so now it's reporting everything accurately for the most part, or? For the most part, I, I have a minor issue just from just a few minutes ago. I'm not sure what's causing it, and I'm pretty sure it's just a software bug somewhere. It's not causing any problems other than reporting something incorrect. Uh, I'm going to check and see if it's still doing it. Yeah, it's still doing it. Um, under... Uh, Apple, you have this option to just kind of briefly look at your system and what the hardware is. And there's a storage tab when you click on about this Mac, and you click on that, and then it shows the hard drive that you've got. And mine's got like roughly 50 gigs of free space out of 120 gigs. But the uh, breakup, it shows it in like apps, movies, photos, and audio. And for the first section, mine shows 580 gigabytes worth of apps. And you tell me how that's possible on a 120-gigabyte solid-state drive. So it looks like it's a cosmetic error on their part. Mostly just, yes. It's just annoying and stupid. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is. I'm not concerned about it at the moment. So, so, but you have, you have a faster thing now, and at some point you may, I'm assuming you might decide to get a bigger drive for it. I may. I don't know at the moment. Um, I may just keep it as it is, and then after a year and a half, two years or so, uh, this is going to be my work PC when I finally get a job in the field. Uh, I may just opt to give this away or something and get a new Mac, a brand new MacBook Air if I can, because supposedly this year they're coming out with a new design. And I hope that's the case, because if that is the case, it's going to be pretty crazy, because they're finally going to integrate the Retina display and their only product that doesn't have a Retina display. I was going to say, what what makes you... what? Um, why choose an Air over, say, just a MacBook Pro that can be used as a workstation replacement? Uh, portability. Um... I love this Mac that I'm using right now. I have no problems with it at all. Especially after I swapped out the hard drive and put the solid state in. I get the performance benefits, and it's still very speedy. Uh, or I mean, it's still, yeah, it's still very speedy. It's very reliable. Um, it's actually even lighter now than it was. But it's still pretty hefty, and it takes up a lot of space. And I just want something that's thin and fast and powerful. That's what I want. S sort of like, um, sort of like my Chromebook, which I'm going to have to get that replaced at some point because I know Touchpad wants to fight with me working and all of that, and and all of a sudden, after the latest update, suddenly wireless is disabled. 
until Ooh. I until I turn it off and turn it back on. So that's telling me that that's starting to go out. I'm like, oh, it's getting, you know, towards the end of the year, and uh, it it looks like I may be running into an issue with with the extra Google Drive space kind of disappearing unless I do their little <laughs> subscription thing. So I'm like, well, this December would probably be a good time to get something new. And I may go ahead and see if I can't get a scrounge up enough just for um, just for the Samsung Chromebook 2 that you were talking about earlier. It's a good machine. <laughs> if if I don't go with that, I'd probably go with something that had, say, an NVIDIA Tegra processor in it. And I do know there are some with those. Yeah, there's... Uh, HP had a version of the Chromebook with the... Uh, NVIDIA Tegra 1, which is a pretty crazy platform for uh, uh, tablets and everything else. The new Nexus 9 tablet has it in it. Oh, yeah. Um, and the the biggest selling point for the K1 over a, a normal Tegra 4 board or whatever is that the Tegra 1 K1 board has a quad-core processor that I think it's like roughly around 2 gigahertz to, to 2.5 gigahertz. I don't remember exactly. But the graphics processing unit has almost a quarter of a full GTX processor on there. <laughs> it's it's like 192 CUDA cores, which is one SMX unit from a uh, one of their newest Kepler devices. Nice. So you've got tons of graphics horsepower. Why they're using it in a Chromebook, I'm not 100% sure because it's not going to be able to really unlock all of that power. But I, with some Chromebooks, you can either use Crouton or other utilities to install Linux, and then from there, maybe be able to harness that full power of it. Um, I would imagine partially because the, the one big drawback of running on an ARM-based platform is, since, since this is Chrome OS and they're going to have Flash support by default because they're going to have to for the next several years... No matter how hard people are trying to make sure it goes away, because there's still lots of educational sites, online game sites that use Flash, the only issue with your other ARM processors is that it will bog it the hell down, and it will, it will cause certain, the system to start choking. Um, if it's something like an NVIDIA Tegra processor, it may be a different story. It may actually handle it a bit better since it would it would likely go off in the GPU for you know video playback and things like that um, but uh, what are you what are your plans for the old driver are you just gonna put it in something else uh, don't really have any plans for it honestly and it's probably gonna sit there and collect dust <laughs> Unless so, somebody comes along and swoops it up and yeah, rescues it. Pretty much, if anybody wants it, I'm probably going to just give it away. Um, because I, just, I wanted the speed boost of the solid state. I'm not necessarily concerned about storage. Because a lot of my uh, software projects that I've done are all on my Google Drive account. And I've got 15 gigs worth of storage there, so I've got plenty of storage that I need. And... Uh, a 120 gigabyte solid state drive. I still have 50 gigs of storage left, and I threw some games and stuff on here. Uh, Minecraft, notably. Uh, <laughs> but so I don't. I'm not necessarily concerned about the storage. So I, that's another reason why I got rid of it. So, um, you got something. Um, this year, since March is the month of my birth, and all of that. Like next week's my birthday. Hooray! Well. Happy early birthday, Thomas. 32 years old and still young, and people still think I'm in my mid-twenties. <laughs> They'll especially think that when I get rid of my beard for a while. Get rid of the fuzz. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I decided to uh, get something for myself this year, because I'm like, you know what, why not? Um, I am a proud owner of an RCA 10.1 Pro Edition tablet now. And we were talking, kind of chatting about it yesterday, because this is one that that came with the little 
fully owned built-in keyboard and everything else, and the keyboard works great. I just got to keep in mind that certain buttons act as certain functions, like going home and everything else. The home screen, I kept accidentally hitting that, going, oh, whoops. Um, this thing has a quad-core 1.5 gigahertz Cortex-A9 processor, 1 gig of RAM. You know, not, not, not super fancy or anything like that, but enough to be able to run Android KitKat on it. So, and I doubt they're going to, I tell it RCA is going to have Lollipop available for it anytime soon, if at all. But I, but I managed to put a micro SD card, max it out, the storage at 32 gigabytes. I bought the little micro HDMI to HDMI cable so I can plug it into my TV if, or or even this monitor behind me if I wanted to. Um, and an iFrog stylus. Because the other ones I looked at were cheaper, but I'm like, I don't need a multifunction pen pointer light thingy and this. I just want something to poke my screen with so I don't smudge it. <laughs> and if I want to draw with it, um, in theory I can. I just... I would just have to get something else if I wanted to more precision. Your 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 smartphone would probably be better for precision than the screen and stylus combined. So, um, but but so far this only issue I have with it is every now and then I you know this version of Android and since it's a tablet has all your little buttons on the screen itself for home, switching between apps, your volume button, and in my case I said at the screenshot button because I I am not hitting some stupid combination just to take a screenshot. Because <laughs> Samsung phones it's kind of somewhat easy if you time it right. You have to hit the little center button and the power button at the same time to take a screenshot. Well, my Note 3, the Note 3 that I had, that I no longer have, it was easier to do that than it was, than it is on this S4. <laughs> for mine, for my phone, all I have to do is just hold down my power button, just like I'm going to turn off the phone. And then I have an option there to hit take a screenshot. Oh, that is fantastic. Yep, and I just saved a screenshot. Of your, of your please unlock your phone thing. Yep. So there we go. There. Screenshot. Pretty easy. Um cuz some I was good for lazy people like me. Yeah. <laughs> and me, I mean or impatient people like me. Um cuz like like I said my Chromebook's kind of going out so I'm like, well, if I'm going to have something to play video back or audio back and I want it playing on my TV while I'm taking a nap or something. I now have something that can do that, so so I'm like, yeah, I'm so far it's working pretty well. It's just if I hit the the if I hit and hold down bottom of part of the screen, it, it thinks I'm hitting other parts of the screen, which is why I had problems with its virtual keyboard when first setting it up. But um, it it does it intermittently, so. If anything really major happens to it, I'll just I'll just get it exchanged for something else, or for a different one. Hopefully, it doesn't do that to me. But but so far, I like for this what this is doing, and and I may just be able to port carry this with me wherever I go and do whatever I need to do with it, and eventually retire the Chromebook because. I think the thing's starting to burn out. It's th those things don't have a long shelf life, and I may just experiment with the Chromebook with various things on it because I can attach a, I can easily attach a keyboard and a mouse to it very easily. So um, that's that's pretty much what I have that's new. Um, 
But um, some some of the new stuff that you're wanting to do, you're wanting more RAM in that machine. You mentioned earlier. Yeah, I do want more RAM in this machine. Uh, it comes with four gigs, which normally for just an average user will be enough. I can play games, I can run anything I want to, but if I want to multitask and have a lot of hungry power, uh, power hungry applications all running at the same time. I'm going to need some more RAM, and especially for my software engineering project, uh, I'm having to do something pretty heavy with Java, and when I run the utilities that I need, uh, one of them takes up a gig of RAM on my PC, so that, that's kind of need to throw some more RAM in there, <laughs> so I'm just going to get two 4-gig sticks and up it to 8. Supposedly the limit is 8 on this, but I've seen people online taking two Corsair 8 gig sticks and throwing it in there and it worked just fine, so I don't know. Um, 8 gigs might pull it off. I think 8's going to be enough for me. I, I don't need anything crazy. This is just a work PC. I'm just going to be carrying it back and forth to work and stuff like that in school. But I, I mean, I'm graduating this semester, so it's primarily going to be my work PC until I upgrade it. Um, but I'm, uh, along with that, I'm going to get more RAM from my desktop. My, my desktop has 8 gigs of RAM, and I almost fill it up completely when I'm running Minecraft with heavy texture packs and stuff like that. So I figured, why not? I'm going to splurge a little bit, get some RAM for it, too, because right now I can buy it for about 55 bucks. So for the same type of RAM that's in it right now, and it's 1600 RAM, and this is going to take 1600 DDR3 RAM as well. So it's fast enough. Don't have to worry about performance. And and I did not meet quite meet one of my goals for this year, but that's because uh, you know certain things happened in my life that kind of interfered with that. But you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of some of the things you want to take care of. So I'm going to get back to getting all those mag PDF magazines converted to web pages. It's a lot of copying and pasting and it's simple but time consuming because I have to I have to move the stuff over to a text editor and then open up the Blue Griffin editor to throw it in there otherwise the formatting gets kind of messed up. And there's some minor bugs in Blue Griffin that um, that I can get around, it's just annoying. I would just do straight up HTML coding, but I don't want to have to do HTML coding all day, so that's why I do the copying and pasting. I'm a WYSIWYG person in that case. It's, it's, I do, I can edit the necessary code if I have to, to a point. I just do that to save myself some time. And there was Composer, which was forked from Enview, but from the days of Linspire, but that's blue, um, Composer. They haven't really moved very fast on that for HTML5 support. So, and Blue Griffin, Blue Griffin already has functions that allow you to insert a video or audio, and it does the little stuff for you. Mm. So that you don't have to manually code it every time and that because I technically if I had if I spend enough time I can do do it to an extent but I don't have the patience for it <laughs> I don't have the I can code software I don't have the patience to code software I I somehow managed to pass my Java class before I transferred to a different major. I was a computer information systems major and Dr. Kamal, who is known as being pretty, pretty strict professor on campus, the fact that he was willing to work with me because he could tell I was just very, very frustrated, but he's like, look, if you're having that much hard time, I can work with you. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, that told me two things. One, some sometimes the reputations that people give others aren't always true. And two, I probably needed to do a different, different 
specialization in computers, not one that a college campus would dictate to me. And I'm like, one day I might code again, I don't know, but um, something's going to have to inspire me for that, because <laughs> hitting compile and running into errors, it's trying to go to the line of coding that it's claiming, except it doesn't always tell you the full story, and you're like, no, I, 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 I'd rather dip my eyeballs in acid and disintegrate them <laughs> and code for a while. I will say, as a, a computer science major, and um, from what I've learned so far, is it does take a certain amount of patience in order to uh, code, especially with certain languages. Um, Java is relatively easy. I mean, it, it depends on what you go from. Um, I've been learning Python on my own, and Python is super easy at the same time that it can make you want to sh shoot yourself in the head and then bash your head into the wall. Not necessarily in that order. Uh, but uh, from from my own perspective, Java, I, I like it and I don't like it. The things I do like about it is that it's, uh, since it's a hybrid language, like uh, kind of like C-sharp, which C-sharp is actually based on Java, uh, that's how it came to be as a competitor to Java. Um, it's a strict type language, so you don't have to worry about anything dynamic. So if you say, like, this variable is this, it's going to stay that way. It will not change. Uh, C-sharp, you can designate a variable as this, and it can change if you want it to. Or Python. Python, that, that's one of the things that can throw you off with Python, is you can have one variable, and providing that you code in a specific way, you can use one variable for the entire program. Performance-wise, that will be a horrible idea. Especially because it's a dynamically typed language. But, that's also the beauty of the language, is that you can you can use one variable for whatever different data type, because uh, for those of you that don't know, there are different data types in programming, and I'll just, for example, like a normal integer, if you're familiar with mathematics, a normal integer is like negative one, negative two, one, two, so on and so forth. It's just whole numbers, and it can be positive or negative. Um, for anything with a decimal point, there are multiple different types of data types for that. There's floating point, which is... Uh, usually uh, a single precision and then for double precision which is twice as many uh, zeros after the decimal point for support for that is uh, the double type so I won't get into any more details but basically that's what it's like and for Python you can use whatever kind of data type you want for whatever variable you don't have to say this one's an integer or this one's a double type, or this one's a floating point. It doesn't matter. It doesn't care. You can throw whatever at it you want to, and it's like, okay. <laughs> so. So with Python, you have to actually exercise some caution, otherwise you might be like, wait, what the hell's, what the hell did I mean by this again? Exactly. And that's when documentation comes into play. Yeah. Putting documentation into your code is a very good idea, which I'm always lazy about, and then I end up going back and going, what the fuck did I do here? <laughs> <laughs> It's almost like I was programming when I was drunk or something. <laughs> um, but in, in all my my things, uh, one of the, and because because of because of what you're doing now, you kind of had to discover um, some software or take a look at it because you had no choice. You didn't want to mess with boot camp. Yeah, um, I was going to throw a virtual machine onto my Mac so I could just play around a little bit. And If I needed Linux for some reason, which I don't think I really will, because uh, underlying Mac OS X, anything past version 10.6, I believe. Uh, yeah, starting with 10.6, um, Apple decided to move to Intel hardware. And uh, actually, no, I think it was starting with 10, version uh, OS 10. So OS X in general has always ran on the Unix operating system underneath. So, I mean, it's all unified. But, uh, so I have access to a, a Bash shell or Born Again shell, if you want to say the whole name. 
so anything I would normally need to do with the command line in Linux, I can with a Mac. So I don't necessarily need it, but I mean, if I wanted to go in and play around with actual pure Linux and do anything uh, like system level programming, I can. So, so I was going to install the uh, virtual machine, but I can't install VMware Player, which is what I'm familiar with and what I'm used to, because for some reason VMware does not want to publish a Mac build without having to make you pay for it. And I'm not paying for it. <laughs> so I was forced to either I was forced into the choice of boot camp and uh, VirtualBox and Bootcamp will actually install the physical stuff to my drive and I don't want to do that because I don't want to mess with partitioning after the whole issue that I had that I explained at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> so I was forced into using VirtualBox, which so far I, I like and dislike. Um, obviously, the, the, the graphic acceleration, the GPU acceleration is not fantastic then again. It's not... Your GPU is not like super state-of-the-art either it's intel graphics no exactly it's um it's uh, intel hd 4000 graphics which is the same as my uh dell venue 8 pro tablet but this has a 25 watt processor as compared to a 2 watt processor so i have much more thermal headroom a lot more thermal headroom so this thing this thing can run full-blown graphics games and it's actually pretty impressive considering the hardware and considering the fact that it's integrated graphics and that was the biggest uh, thing that Intel did with their HD 4000 graphics I won't get into that but it's been pretty impressive since then that was the biggest step forward because Intel HD 3000 was pretty much a turd in the toilet compared to this so <laughs> I remember the I think that Toshiba satellite that I have has like their, their mobile version of the X4500 not their HD but the X4500 which was which at the time was was pretty decent at the time, and then and then they came out with like I think I can't remember which which code name it was, but it was one where they went to a third party to develop their onboard graphics or something like that. It wasn't true Intel graphics, and it's just like oh, Power VR is. They went to Power VR, and it's just like, oh my god! And all of a sudden, the open drivers for it under Linux-based systems just were not stable. They sucked horribly, and it wasn't it wasn't you know it wasn't all their fault. It was it was because because they they didn't do the graphics fully themselves. They went to somebody else to take care of that, and it was just like. A lot of your netbooks, unfortunately, from from the era of of like the EPC and what have you from ASUS, had those chips in there. So <laughs> that, that's that's part of the reason why why when I look at certain netbooks from certain eras, I'm like, I'm probably not going to use that one, or if I do, I'm not going to try running 3D graphics in any capacity because uh, it's going to be hit or miss. But um, but other than, other than that issue, how are you liking VirtualBox so far? So far, it's 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 it works. <laughs> um, I shut it down a little bit ago because I just didn't. Uh, I was getting just getting annoyed with the 3D acceleration, but that's just because I was using Ubuntu, and Ubuntu doesn't run on anything that's not. It only runs in 3D form now because it doesn't have a 2D version of Unity. So I could just switch to another operating system if I wanted to, which I probably will later. But um, um, Ubuntu Mate Edition, it's become an official flavor recently. Oh really? Um, they're getting an official flavor status. I have that running on my other systems, and it runs. I like the combination of colors they use. It's really, really it runs pretty well, and and if you like that old school gnome look and feel, it actually works pretty well. Um, I put it on there on other systems because it's much lighter on resources, and I'm like I. I'm not particularly a fan of what what the 
what they what people did with the X Ubuntu, what they did with XFCE on it. I'm like, I I'm sorry. I like the I like the arrow, the up and down arrows on my scroll bar. I should not have to hold, click and hold the little bar and drag up and down. That is stupid. <laughs> to only have that option, I like clicking up, I like clicking down. I'm, I'm just weird like that. But um, I, I, I recently came across, well, recently took another look at, rather, I should say, because I, I looked at this... A, I think a couple of years ago and it was it was horribly buggy so I don't think it ran very well on any of my systems. It was called Kingsoft Office and they recently tried porting it to Linux based platforms and they've made some progress. Uh, they now call it WPS and that's part of the reason I got this tablet by the way because it has that pre-installed and so far it, it's kind of Interesting how they do things, but it makes sense on a tablet-based system. Um, it looks pretty. If you're used to the ribbon interface in Office, you'll adjust to it pretty quickly. And the hat, when you open it up, it has some really cool templates that you can actually click download and opens in a new tab. It's tab interface for multiple files. so. I like it. Um, only thing is, um, it is on virtually every platform except um, OS X. It's on all your iDevices. Don't ask me why. I have no idea why, but um, I guess if enough people show interest, they'll try. But but um, it just. Um, I, I did run into an issue where I had to manually go find the fonts that it says it was missed, couldn't find, and, and manually add them, but that was about it. I haven't ex I've only experimented with word processing. I haven't looked at their presentation or or their spreadsheet program yet, but but that's basically what it comes with. So so that you you would be able to install it on your desktop at home. I would, and I might, um, especially if the uh, performance of since I've been having to do some presentations and stuff for my classes, I've had to be using uh, PowerPoint because I have a version of PowerPoint installed in my system. But I've always explored open source versions, and because I I have multiple sh machines, and I can't just always install. Uh, Microsoft Office, especially when I'm running Linux, so um, I uh, I'll probably install it because uh, I normally have been using LibreOffice because I don't like OpenOffice. It has, it has just issues here and there. It never runs right, especially on the versions I've used. But on LibreOffice, I've never had a problem except for when using LibreOffice Impress, which is their uh, their version of PowerPoint, uh, and it's just performance problems I'm normally having and it's just really slow unless it's on even on Windows I just have problems with it it's just really slow so I mean if the performance of that is so much better then I probably will get it and and Microsoft's office formats the recent ones it's compatible with so it'll it won't do open document that's um, they know that people are interested in it these are Chinese developers working on this it's from a Chinese company and their their thing is if enough they have to have enough interest in order to be able to justify getting more resources for it. They just lack people at the moment. They're just recently been able to get their get this office suite to running in sixty four bit. So they're they're making some breakthroughs in that. So, so it's not like they're announcing everything every day. It's just that, well, they've had to work quietly behind the scenes and all that. So, um, but sooner or later, sooner or later, 
you're going to get yourself a MacBook Air should they redesign it and everything else. Well, yeah, hopefully they will be uh, releasing their new design this year, which there's been tons of rumors out. that And Apple's got, let's see, what is it, the third? Yeah, uh, Apple's got a special uh, announcement on the 9th less than six days, uh, it's about six days from today, which is the rumored date of the release of the new version of the MacBook Air. Um, that's on so. my birthday, too. So, hopefully, hopefully, they'll, it'll be a nice, pleasant surprise. Um, I don't know, I don't know where I've heard this, but I hear they're going with some AMD hardware and the near future, at least their new MacBook Pros or their Mac Pro workstations use AMD graphics in them, at least. They use uh, AMD Fire Pros, their workstation level graphics, which might throw mine out of the water. I've got an AMD R9 290 in my desktop at home, and it's pretty powerful. So, um, are, are they going to use... AMD stuff in their other products, or uh, I'm afraid they're probably going to stick with Intel hardware for a while, um, especially when it comes to the processors. They've kind of traded back and forth between NVIDIA and AMD for graphics, mostly just because it depends on what time of the year and what year. Uh, usually, the NVIDIA and AMD have been always going back to back, neck and neck, and one year one's on top, one year the other one's on top. I mean, it's just they keep trading blows, and it's probably just going to stay that way for a while. And right now, they're using AMD graphics in their workstations, along with uh, the new Retina uh, iMac. They use an AMD R9 M290X, the mobile version of their highest-level desktop graphics. Uh, but in the, the MacBook Pros, they're using NVIDIA graphics, which... From what I've seen, usually mobile graphics, uh, for mobile graphics, uh, NVIDIA's graphics usually are faster. So, how how is with them those two going neck to ne neck and neck? Um, recent the next version of DirectX is going to kind of uh, make things a little bit more interesting. From what from what you've been pointing out and what I've looked at too, um, it may be possible down the road to technically utilize both types of GPUs at the same time for different things. Basically what DirectX allows for is that uh, I'm going to have to pull up the article to make sure I'm not saying anything out of context or saying anything incorrectly. But basically, it's going to allow you to have both different brands of uh, GPUs in your system. And it's going to aggregate the, the resources of both of them together and allow you to use everything all at once. So what used to be a problem with you can have multiple GPUs installed on your system, but you can only use one at a time. That has been the problem up until hopefully now with uh, DirectX 12. Because because you, you could attach two together, but they had to be the exact same card. Yes, the exact same brand and the exact same card. Uh, they'd have to be like, for example, you'd have to have two AMD 6870s uh, running in Crossfire, and uh, one one reason is that because uh, AMD uses what they call Crossfire technology, Crossfire X, and then NVIDIA uses SLI, which uh, I can't remember what SLI stands for. I think it's Scalable Link Interface, if I'm not mistaken. Crossfire X is just a brand name, and that's just what AMD does, and it's, I mean, it's almost the same technology, it's just implemented differently, and they're not compatible with each other. But that could change very, very soon, because... because of all of that. And that, and I think that's going to be a worthwhile future episode, is DirectX 12, and what that all could entail, how that could impact... 
um, attempts to kind of how it could it impact attempts to bring gaming to other platforms and what they'll have to do to try to keep up. And that, that's part of the reason why I look, I'm looking at WPS Office very closely. They're proprietary, but but they're doing some things that other Office suite developing in the free and open source area aren't doing. That's providing readily available templates in one little page that you can say, I want to open it from this one, it'll grab it, open it in a new document. The interface is not predefined. LibreOpenOffice.org, which Apache is now kind of sort of working on. Why in the world they're using a little sidebar, I don't know. Well, they've changed to a sidebar now? Like, from... Because a lot of their stuff's now starting to merge and being merged with um, what used to be called IBM Lotus Symphony. <laughs> so... Um, I don't know what I don't know why they're doing that when you have the formatting stuff up above why it's all the way to the right I I don't unless they're going to eventually change everything completely around I don't get it but it's I could see it if people were like I just want to move this over to here and have my workflow set up this way but from what I've seen of the interface from what you've shown me from what we've discussed earlier I personally like it, um, especially with the addition of, well, uh, from what I saw first is that the uh, the layout of uh, the formatting is in almost the same exact format as uh, Microsoft Office. So for those of you that are used to Microsoft Office, you'll have a very easy time um, migrating from one to another. And it also supports opening documents and tabs. If I was, if I wasn't mistaken, yeah. Which, yeah. for me, that's the well, the primary reason why I switched originally from using uh, like. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I used to be a user of Internet Explorer, but <laughs> I switched to using Google Chrome, and I, I've loved it ever since. Did I use Firefox? Yes, I did use it at school, but I didn't like it because I felt like it was slower. Because at the time I was using Firefox when I was in. It was like 2008, and Internet Explorer was actually faster at the time, but now Explorer is still slow. It always has been slow. And, and Firefox used to start out, starting out in their beta phases. It used to be pretty pretty speedy, too, and then it started kind of getting heavier and heavier, and, you know, the eventual feature creep, we got to add this and add that. Yeah. <laughs> and every, every browser vendor's... Even Google was guilty of this. <laughs> Google might be even more guilty than anyone else. <laughs> the only the the thing is, is though, um, Firefox takes a lot longer to start up than Google Chrome does. Now, one thing that none of them are not uh, guilty of. So, okay, what they're all guilty of, I should say, instead of trying to make right. it complicated and stupid, what they're all guilty of is making their software uh, a RAM hog. Google Chrome's running on my system right now, and it's probably taking up a gig. I know on my desktop it takes up easily a gig. Uh, Firefox does the same thing. Now, I don't know exact numbers, but I think Google Chrome probably uses more. Um, however, Google Chrome is built for performance. That is one of the selling points of it, and that's what they try to tell you. is We've built this operating system from scratch using some things here and there and everything else we've written which it's backed by an open source version Chromium um, which they try to test out a lot of the things in first. They've also got their own proprietary uh, uh, unstable version Google Chrome Canary uh, which is where all their proprietary stuff gets tested out um I personally like Google Chrome over anything else. It's just speedier, it's faster, and I can sync it with my Google account. And since I use a lot of Google's products and services, it's just convenient and easy and simple for me, even though they're probably tracking my data. They can track it all they want, I don't care. They're just going to find out that I like to uh, read a lot about tech stuff and um, 
I browse Facebook every now and then. Whoopee. Steal my Facebook data. I don't care. <laughs> and right now I'm kind of experimenting real quick by saving this. document real quick because it won't for whatever reason it will not let me save to my external SD card it, it's stupid but oh well but I can at least save it to my Google Drive so which is comes in handy and I have this I have this thing integrated with Dropbox too but um I think I think this kind of this should definitely wrap this episode up. It's kind of kind of another laid back one. I, I kind of want to get with Curtis about about some of the stuff that he wants to be talking about, and, and with and with with what I have now, I probably will be able to better research and read up on some of the topics he's looking into, and things like that, because that'll. It'll be kind of interesting, and and I won't reveal what it is today. But suffice it to say, I, I can see him going from one perspective, and then I can bring bring. Well, here's what all the kooky people are saying. Kind of thing. <laughs> it's uh, from. I won't reveal it either because I, I I like I like the topic, and I think it's going to be a good podcast. And I may just leave that one up to you and Curtis. Uh, <laughs> Because I, I'm not as well versed when it comes to this sort of topic, but it sounds like it's going to be very interesting. Um, it, it it it's going to involve some history. It's going to involve some geopolitics, and it's something that that I haven't really delved into on the show in a while. So, because be a good change. Yeah, because like back in like 2013, yeah, 2013 for a good. For a good few months, politics, 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 more politics, to the point where even I was starting to get sick of it. I'm like, mm, we need to go in a different direction. <laughs> and my phone just fell. No, this is not getting edited out. But I think I will end it on there because. It's a good note to end on. <laughs> yep. Um, um, folks, get cases for your phones that will save them, um, even if it's a tiny case. Um, entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself. I'm Thomas. And I'm Shaggy. We're both signing out. <laughs>